Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell. With me today is MEC Chairman, Captain Will McQuillan, Negotiating Chairman, First Officer Chris Gruner, Strategic Planning Chairman, Captain Ronan O'Donohue, and our Membership Chairman, Captain Will Swoblin. So today we're going to talk about the awards of the retirement programs, the EILs and the ELOAs, which are all out. We'll talk about what we saw in the results, some of the statistics, the awarding process, and some of the questions that we've been receiving about this. And we'll talk about what's coming up next for the MEC and for this pilot group. Will, as we get into this conversation, there are some key accomplishments that let's delineate right out from the get-go. Yeah, certainly. I I do appreciate the opportunity to David to discuss uh, this. It's been a good week. I mean, it has. And some of those key accomplishments, uh, I think, were were highlighted uh, and they were certainly emboldened the in the communications that we put out. But first and foremost was that we were successful in being able to mitigate the furlough threat. Um, And we did it all through voluntary measures. You know, the participation in these programs was strong enough and just like uh, we had noted, was uh, able to meet a threshold that we fully mitigated the the furlough threat. And so barring any real uh, adverse or unusual changes, I guess, in the landscape ahead, um, that's, that's a good place to be. Um, the other part of that, that that goes in hand is that it was accomplished again with, you know, no other uh, goal in mind other than focusing on pilot interests and priorities. You know, we were able to uh, to do it without making any changes to our CBA, or as people like to commonly, uh, you know, fear some type of a concessionary position. Um, I think we did learn too that, uh, as we've said before that regardless of the threat, uh, this furlough threat being the the ominous one that was out there, that really nothing does need to happen imminently. And in the, the heat of battle, sometimes it's really good just to wait, survey the landscape and develop a plan uh, before we act. And that's obviously what uh, what the MEC did here and was able to, to use uh, the uncertainty that the company had in their staffing plan and provide a, a far better path forward. Um, the other, I think, big uh, win, if you will, was that the REILs, the Retirement Extended Incentive Lines, were fully awarded. And that was something that I know was uh, on a lot of people's minds, and it was always ALPA's position that every pilot who uh, who bid for and wanted a Retirement Extended Incentive Line should have been awarded one. And we were very, very happy to see that uh, in the end, they were fully awarded. So, yeah, overall, a, a huge win-win, especially those retirement uh, pieces when you consider that's uh, up to, depending on where you are on the seniority list, 137 numbers that uh, people will, will rise overnight. Yeah, I'd just like to take a moment and thank everybody who took the time to decide whether or not that these programs would, uh, you know, work for them and their family. So for those of you that, you know, decided to take one of these, you know, again, we wanted to make sure this program when we were negotiating it you know, stood on its own for each of, of you when you guys were making that decision. But, you know, I just want to let you know that everyone that did take this, right, it, you do have a big impact on uh, other people's lives. And so, uh, again, I really appreciate the participation we've had across Captain and FO because that was a huge balance and across all the bases. So just a big thank you for uh, making this program work. Yeah, I think that's a worthwhile thing to acknowledge because I Regardless of the reason that people bid for these, it's had a really positive effect on especially our junior pilots. We've got a lot of responses 
already from people who are junior who were really worried about being furloughed, who are, are really grateful for the position that they're in now. Right. We negotiate these programs and, uh, you know, you don't know how it's all going to play out, right? You just put these parameters in place. So um, really, it's all, all of you guys that made this program successful. Right. Well, and you bring up the numbers. Of, let's talk about that, of how many of these were awarded, what, how effect that's having on, on the, the numbers of our pilot group right now. Let's turn to membership chairman Will Swovlin. Tell us about those numbers. Who, who bid for, for them? So, for example, the early outs, what, what are we looking at there? Yeah, so participation overall in all of the programs was excellent. And it's, you know, it's, it's what got us here today. Uh, so kind of the forensic breakdown, we had 1,344 individual pilot bids submitted for one or more of the programs. Uh, the early out programs had 43 pilots bid for them. The retirement extended incentive lines had 94 pilots bid. Um, going through the different extended incentive line lengths, we had uh, 70, 795 bid for the 24 month, 871 bid for the 18 month, 1,026 bid for 12 month, 1,098 bid for nine month, and 1,216 people put in for a six month leave. Uh, on top of 42 bids for the extended leave of absence. Yeah, there was clearly some great interest in these programs, as we saw in the people who put a, a bid in. Turning to the awarding process, Will, how many of those have been awarded? As uh, Will McQuillan mentioned earlier, the retirement options, both the early out program one and the retirement extended incentive lines were fully awarded. So we had uh, 43 and 94 respectively for each of those programs and the company awarded both of those 100%. So as he said, 137 people uh, are uh, taking advantage of one of the retirement options. On the extended incentive line options, those were base position specific. So it, it varied by base and by seat. Uh, the awards for the 24 month, we were able to grant 223 of them for 18 month, 173 for the 12 month, 215, uh, nine month leaves went to 169 and six month leaves up to 137 were granted. Uh, in addition to that, 12 extended leave of absences were offered. So 929, uh, not counting the retirement options. Now, that's interesting. Earlier, the company said that they would award up to 1300 and in the end, it was less than that. What's the reason for that discrepancy? Yeah, that is definitely probably the number one question that we've received so far since the award went out. Um, and I, it all really boils down to staffing and them being able to staff the airline throughout the, uh, the award process. You know, they had certain minimum thresholds or uh, targets that they were trying to hit in each of the individual uh, EIL lengths. And then we saw as uh, we awarded it that they were obviously willing to over-award, but the uh, degree to which they were over-award was really juxtaposed against the, their staffing needs. And the recovery has been such, and uh, they've already seen enough block hour increases since the time that the original um, program was was advertised for bid that they really couldn't award fully all 1300 of those uh, those bids without uh, having a staffing issue this fall 
Yeah, you know, another thing that surprised me, Will, is the number of awards for the 24-month EILs. Those seem to be less than maybe we were expecting. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that there was a strong interest in them, and it would have been nice to see them fully awarded. But again, that points back to, I think, some assumptions in their their recovery plan and what they see in the future and really feeling that they need pilots back on a, um, a, a more accelerated schedule than the 24s, uh, than the 24-month programs. And I know that that's, that's interesting because obviously with any of these, they have the ability to recall pilots uh, with 45 days notice and that that was kind of that number one question. But uh, also remembering that they have to exhaust the shorter term buckets before they could get at those uh, those pilots with a longer award. So there was a lot of, um, I think, on the company side, uh, internal discussion before they came to the award process that uh, that went into the numbers that they were ultimately able to award and willing to award. Uh, I think from our perspective, we, of course, would love to have seen all 1,300 of these um, fully awarded but uh, you know that that's an interesting discussion about would you rather fly less and have the recovery stall, or is it good news that they had more recovery on the horizon? Yeah, and I think you know just like you were saying there at the end, Will, it speaks to the company's optimism on our recovery out of the back end of this. So I think that's important to note as well. Wouldn't it have done more to award every bid that was out there? Well, I suppose you could argue that, but if their business case already assumes that they're, they would need to bring people back so soon that they wouldn't even be able to operate the December schedule, um, then I, I would suppose that that would fly in the face of that, <laughs> that, you know, there's nothing left to, to mitigate, right? Yeah. It's also, don't forget too, though, David, you've got the, the whole training issue when you're moving a lot of the pilots over from the Airbus to the Boeing. So if you're doing that in a very short period... Um, right all in one go with a high 24 month that really makes it more difficult yep yeah there's definitely a lot of moving pieces to it and they uh obviously had spent some time looking at their proposed training plan and uh, what they do know about forecast uh block hours for the the fall in particular and what they're getting more clarity on in the summer and that obviously influenced the degree to which they were over award uh they over awarded their targets well, maybe you could synthesize what we just talked about in terms of numbers and what that means to really mitigating a furlough. I, I think in a nutshell, what we can take away from this, David, is that by choosing to uh, under-award the, uh, the leaves when they had thirteen over 1,300 people who were interested in taking one, and by um, you know constraining the number of potential 24-month awards they were willing to do, it just demonstrates the, their optimism that uh, recovery looks good and that the uh, furlough is is not justified. It's been fully fully dealt with the threat. All right, so there's a couple of questions that are coming in with some frequency. First of all, do you expect them to delay the REILs by 60 days? Now, David, at this point, they have not given us any notification of intent to delay the start of the uh, retirement extended incentive lines as they could under the agreement, but they have not at this time, so I don't think so. Swellen, do you know anything about an upcoming position bid? Uh, all we know at this point is that they're they're interested in getting a position bid out, but I think they are still digesting and organizing the the results of this bid and 
trying to come up with a good plan to move forward. So they have not shared any information with us yet about the size or timing of a position bid other than it is in the immediate future. Yeah, I, I, I do want to jump on that a little bit, David, and say that, you know, the fact that there may be some delay um, between, you know, the, the publishing of the award of the uh, the leave programs and the retirement options and the posting of that position bid is obviously, as we've always said, a good thing, assuming that it's done right, because it gives them the opportunity to really take a look at how to do this in the mo- the least harmful way to pilots, right? We know that they're committed to making um, certain transitions from fleet, from Airbus to Boeing, and taking the time to look at these leave results before they put out a position bid gives them the opportunity to do it in a in a very pro-pilot way, but with a, an asterisk that that is to be determined when it ultimately does publish. Yeah, and you know, as long as we're talking about bids, it's maybe a, a good time to mention, if you're on any of these leaves, make sure you're paying attention because you will need to bid for these because it, you're still part of the pilot group and you will be affected by them. Uh, Swovelin, do you want to address that to any more detail? Yeah, good Good that you brought that up, David. What, anyone who's out on an extended incentive line uh, is, as far as Section 24 is considered, still an active pilot. So if and when they publish uh, this upcoming position bid, you are going to have to look, digest, and make an informed decision and submit your bids. Um, I would hate to see, um, you know, the results of that bid not be something that uh, the individual pilot wanted uh, because they failed to submit a bid of their own. Yeah, I, I don't think we can hit that home hard enough is that you need to, just because you're on an extended incentive line doesn't mean you don't need to protect yourself. In fact, it's just as critical. Uh, that you submit a full defensive bid, especially if you're in a position that is being adjusted, whether they're reducing Airbus flying in whatever base or whatever they're doing. Um, we, I mean, hey, we've had two completely failed runs at this, so by now you'd think everybody would have uh, would have caught on. But it's just as important when you're on one of these leaves to make sure that you get a get a bid on file. Yeah, and along those lines, there's a lot of other things you should probably stay aware of while you're out on an EIL. So. Um, just so everybody knows, uh, Flight Crew Administration is going to send out emails to everybody on EILs, and we will as well to uh, kind of give you a heads up on what kinds of things you need to be keeping track of. And the position bid is definitely one of them. Um, also, don't forget to participate in things like your annual benefits enrollment, you know, if you want to change elections and things like that in that October, November timeframe. Um, also, you know, you have your annual vacation bidding. Um, in September. So don't forget to uh, do that because, you know, like we've talked about, you may be coming back earlier than what you wanted. Also, it's going to affect how you're paid throughout the uh, the year. So you, you can know you can line that up even if you aren't actually taking those vacation days. Um, additionally, you know, you're going to continue to be eligible to uh, vote for your LEC representatives, right? Or any uh, contractual changes or things requiring membership ratification down the road if those become uh, available. So along those lines, you know, I think it's important. It's up to you guys, but we recommend that you stay engaged and make sure you check off, uh, you know, on the Alpa website, all of the Alpa emails and you're receiving those. Uh, additionally, it's probably not a bad idea to log into the company website once a month just to see what's going on. And, uh, you know, stay informed that way. Make sure you're not missing anything. Um, Because, you know, if you're not on there, I think it's for 90 days, you might get locked out. 
And then that's going to create another hurdle if a position bid comes along or something along those lines. Chris, how about training? What do pilots need to be aware of while they're out? Well, you're not going to have any training while you're on one of these. And that includes quarterly training, by the way. So that's not even an option for you to keep up with as far as uh, pay and things like that goes. Hey, again, it's one, it's up to you guys, but it may be a good idea to keep up with like those training bulletins and updates. So when you do come back, you're not, you know, behind, but again, that's, that's all up to you as far as uh, how you handle those things. As far as training itself, remember, uh, there's no ability to uh, come in for currency or training uh, with the one exception, right? As if you're on an 18 or 24 month EIL and you're coming up on 24 months on current, then the uh, company can then uh, ask you to come in for a requalification before you hit that 24 month uh, deadline. So um, other than that, uh, no, no training is part of one of these. And Chris, as I recall, camp pilots also volunteer to train prior to going out on their leave if they're on one of the longer term leaves. Correct. 18 or 24 months if you are going out on one of those two EILs, then um, before you start, you can look at available training time after pilots have already bid it and then go do your CQ to reset your clock at that point. But then once October 1st hits, you're going to be uh, off the rolls at that point and not able to do it. And just to be clear, that is only the 18 and 24 months. So if you're just going out for six or nine, there, there really isn't the, the sim capacity to handle you prior. You'll just be dealt with when you come back. Yeah, and some people have asked, you know, if my base month is October, for example, should I try to bid an early month? you know, September and, and get it out of the way. Again, that's up to you. It may not be a bad idea. You know, you go ahead and reset your clock that way and uh, don't have to worry about, you know, extra training maybe when you get back. So um, again, no requirement to, but certainly an option if, you, if you'd like. When pilots come back from these leaves and train, is that going to reset their base month? Uh, so it may. So the bottom line is, uh, first of all, if you do it early, so before your early month, because, you know, you're resetting your clock for the what I just talked about, that will reset your base month. Additionally, if you go unqualified, you know, so you miss your late month, for example, then when you redo your CQ, that will also reset your, your base month. Well, let's move on to what's happening next at the MEC. And Ronan, I know you've been doing a lot of work on this. What, what, can, what can pilots expect to see coming up? Yeah, thanks, David. Um, well, actually, coincidentally, we're all in D.C., or at least negotiating committee, myself, yourself, and we're all in D.C. this week meeting with uh, Senior Alpa Labor Council and Economic Finance and Analysis folks to um, start to look at our strategic plan going forward and uh, which direction you know, we're going to start taking things here as we start to move away from this uh, furlough mitigation focus. So... Um, those meetings are ongoing today and tomorrow, and the main objective of those is so that we can present to the MEC in August and uh, try and get some guidance from those folks to uh, to see as as this thing starts to uh, get a little bit more in the rearview mirror to which direction we're going ahead. Yeah, Ronan, we're, we're still here to address the pilots' concerns. I mean, there's still uh, things that you have brought to us earlier, right? They're still working to address through that Section 6 process. And, you know, we had this big external event with COVID-19 that's still ongoing, but, you know, that doesn't preclude us from negotiating your contract and, and moving it forward. 
So we're taking a look at, at that and uh, continuing to uh, assess the environment we're in and uh, how we're going to now uh, segue back into that uh, environment. And we do expect to start moving in that direction again. Yeah, I think it always bears repeating, we've said it before, that just because the environment that we're negotiating uh, may have changed a little bit, that uh, you, your team, and the entire MEC remain focused on nothing more than advancing pilot priorities. And that's certainly very possible, even in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. That's right. You have expectations. Um, you know, we still don't have a market contract. And, uh, you know, we still are working hard to advance uh, your interests. Will McQuillan, are, are there any areas of concerns or rumors you want to address? Oh, well, yeah, David, I mean, there's always um, ongoing rumors and there's certainly concerns. Uh, I suppose I can start with the concern that, that we've heard loud and clear from all of our pilots that are San Francisco based and uh, the recent communications uh, that have been received from management I know are less than satisfying for the pilots in that base because they're just trying to establish what the, the, the fate of the base is and reconcile that against the, uh, the narratives that the Airbus uh, fleet will be reducing and consolidated in Seattle. And what does that mean? Um, I know there's there really is no clarity. And I can tell you that even in the discussions that we've pursued, there is no clarity as to whether or not uh, San Francisco flying at this point would be backfilled by Boeing aircraft or would the base close. I know that that's a, a concern there and they have not provided us any clarity on that. What I do know is that the, the fleet decision comes first and that they are currently working through that. I, I know that that's become kind of the ongoing joke about how long do they need to work through a fleet decision, but but that is still the answer that they're working on a fleet decision first, and then they can answer the bigger questions uh, about basing and uh, you know any questions that, that might involve the mix of flying that would be down in San Fran. Um, and I, all I can do is apologize to the pilots in that base that we're unable to force an answer to give you the clarity that I know you want and need uh, we're continuing to try, and we will continue to try. Um, so the perhaps the, the less than satisfying answer is that everybody who's in San Francisco really does need to protect themselves uh, with a solid defensive bid, whether or not they're on an extended incentive line or if they're actively flying, because uh, there's just no clarity, but there will be change. I think one of the other things that's frustrating, too, though, is the fact that they're talking about reducing... Los Angeles down to the last are pretty much no Airbus. And then they put out an announcement that there'll be some increased flying down in Los Angeles. So there's a little bit of mixed messaging going on there too. Yeah, it, it's not just mixed messaging, but I think it underpins the lack of certainty that they they have, uh, Ronan, on that, because I believe that that extra flying that we saw in, in LA was a competitive response. And this is a pretty dynamic situation. Um, so it, it just goes to to prove, I guess, again, that the promises of uh, yesterday don't mean much today, and pilots just have to work to protect themselves. I know there's rumors of merger out there as well. Ronan, what do we know about that? Well, there has been, and even most recently, there's been some news articles showing out just different partners, and especially with the JetBlue and American um, co-chair agreement that was just struck up last week. That seems to have um, spiked those rumors again. 
But of course, as of right now, we know absolutely nothing. There's nothing going on that we're aware of. But it is always something that we are prepared for. And uh, we have talked about it. And it, of course, as we're doing our strategic planning session this week, it is something that we, we definitely revisit and make sure that we are ready for an event that it, it was to happen. Um, but regardless, uh, we do have a third-party law firm that specializes in corporate governance, and that is absolutely to, to protect the pilot's interests. Chris, I understand there have been some concerns with scheduling lately. Yeah, so, you know, the contract compliance team has been fielding a lot of questions, and we continue to uh, uh, encourage you to continue to reach out to them as a resource. They've been doing a fantastic job, as probably many of you know answering your questions about the EILs and everything else. And now as we move forward, continue to use them to make sure that, um, you know, you understand our contract and the, the scheduling in particular as we move forward. But one thing in particular has been coming up a lot is that cancellation uh, piece is when your trip is canceled in base. So remember in base and out of base, right, has to do where your trip departs from, not where you physically are. But it's important, I think, for everybody to get very familiar with Section 25U in the contract and understand your rights under the contract when your flight is canceled or you're illegal or there's an equipment swap. So uh, the first thing I think that's really important to point out here is that when you're not on duty, right, that's your time, you are optionally contactable. So I want to keep that or I want to make sure that that's clear. The, the second thing here that's important is that there's a lot of things in the contract there are options you have if your trip's canceled related to alternative trip makeup, but you need to let the company know on the first contact with them that you are interested in doing alternative trip makeup. It can be as simple as, hey, I, I think I may want to do alternative trip makeup. Let me look at that and get back to you. Something like that is fine. You just need to make sure you say those words when you uh, first talk to scheduling. And then, uh, you know, the third thing I think that's important to point out on this is that when you're in a contactability window, you're not on reserve. So while you do need to make sure that you can get to work in a reasonable amount of time, that is not two hours. That's a reserve call out. You're not on a reserve call out. Chris, issues with scheduling have been a perennial problem here. What are we doing to make that better for the pilots? Yeah, so the company said, right, that scheduling or the contract in general is a uh, is a bright line. And so, I mean, that's our expectation as well. This is a uh, set of rules that we've negotiated along with the company that we've mutually agreed to that we expect to see executed. And so, uh, you know, we see a lot of these one-offs um, in scheduling. And so, you know, it may not be, you know, there's some things that we see consistently, you know, that are issues, but a lot of them are things that, we just see maybe once, but it happens. But, you know, you see a lot of these things across the board. You know, just like we're pilots and, um, you know, when we walk up to the airplane, you know, everybody expects us to know our job and to be able to go fly that airplane. Well, well, I think, you know, it's the same thing when we call scheduling. We have the same expectation from them. So I just don't think that the pilots need to be put in a position to where they're expected to double and triple check scheduling's work when they call them, right? They should be able to... Um, uh, uh, trust that the information they're getting from scheduling is correct, whether it's, you know, if they have a severe irregular operation or not, you know, we should be able to get that information from scheduling. There's no reason they shouldn't know that. Or, 
you know, under the cancellation makeup. We need to make sure, you know, there's no reason that that shouldn't be applied correctly. So, um, you know, I, I just think, you know, making sure that that is done correctly is something that we are uh, talking with the company about and are, uh, you know, are interested in, in making sure that that gets tightened up. All right. Well, Will, before we get into your closing remarks, I think it's worth stressing one point in that the the work that this team has done over the last six weeks or so have, have really precluded a, a different road that we could have been going down. Speak to that for a minute, if you would. Now, I, I think you're right, David, that there's uh, probably a little bit of discussion to be had around how much has happened in just the span of approximately six weeks and how while we've never given up on focusing on the mitigating or eliminating a, a furlough threat um, and the staffing uncertainty that, that the company was seeing, uh, I guess the paths that we could have gone down have changed. And we've said it before, um, and it bears repeating that I think, you know, six weeks ago, we were in a different spot and we could have gone down a much darker path and had to uh, to address the, the staffing concerns of the furlough threat with a, a more traditional furlough threat. And the most important thing, of course, is that we found a better path forward. And, you know, that was done in a pro-pilot way. And it was done simply because there were select members of management that were willing to, to hear us out and to listen to, you know, us articulate a better path forward. And, uh, you know, it, it's good, obviously, that we were able to succeed. But uh, it, as I've said time and time again, it is the way that things should work, that the when there's a better path forward, there should always be an open ear, an open mind, and we should walk through that door. This really is an opportunity to emphasize that we didn't do the same old thing we've always done in this industry. You know, it was outside right. the box and it gave them a win. It gave us a win. And yeah, just like you said, Will, there was a, a point there where we were able to have discussions with um, some of the members of the company about a creative, uh, unique way forward that ended up benefiting us both. But that took them sitting there and uh, listening to us and, and taking us seriously and thinking through the ramifications, you know, when this has been done differently, you know, every iteration of crisis right in the past. So, uh, again, I, I do think there's a lot of value in that. And for us just being able to, uh, you know, sit down with them and, and have those conversations. And, and we really hope that that continues now uh, moving forward as we pick Section 6 back up. Because uh, in all honesty, we think that that creates a better path forward, not just for us, but for the entire company. Will, is there anything else you want to make sure we cover on this podcast before we bring it to a close? Yeah, I, I definitely have a few thoughts, David. Um, and I'll start with just simply restating that I think what we've accomplished this week, and, and really, I guess, in the last year or two, but especially um, here with the pandemic and the furlough threat, what we've accomplished is incredibly meaningful to me. Um, having dealt with the threat of furlough, you know, something that I experienced personally, um, being able to to eliminate that threat for our pilots is incredibly meaningful to me. Uh, I do think that it's very important to realize as well and to take note that what we accomplished this week was not any one person's um, claim to success. It's, as always, a total team lift. 
Uh, there are way, way too many people to thank in this effort, but uh, I'm going to start by telling all the pilots that they should turn and thank each other too. Um, we're not kidding when we say that unity is what underpins our success. And I think knowing that uh, you were unified and stood behind your elected representatives and behind us and the team, it meant a lot and it allowed us to accomplish what we were able to uh, to accomplish. So um, it does also, I think, bear note, though, that while we are you know, kind of coming off of a, a celebrated win, if you will, um, there are others in the Alpa family and even in the Alaska um, employee groups that are still worrying, still full of anxiety about what their future holds and for whom uh, there may be still a fertile threat. And if that happens and when that happens at either other properties or uh, you know even for other work groups in Alaska, it's our job to pay it forward and support each other. Um, you know, I'm talking things like job leads, uh, being able to call, check in. Uh, it, every little bit means something. And, uh, you know, being able to support people during the time of furlough is very, again, personal to me because I was able to uh, to find a job at SkyWest through the efforts of my union back after 9-11. So uh, with that said, I think it's important for us to remember some of the lessons that uh, that we've learned in this process and we've said it a few times before, and I guess I'll say it again, is, is stay unified and, and don't lose perspective that whatever the issue, um, it remains all about the, the collective us and never about the me. That's what the unionism is, you know, at its core is all about. Um, always try to focus on that 30,000 foot view and the path forward becomes a lot more clear. And that we, uh, we certainly have learned that taking the time to relax and read the environment before you react is the right way to address an issue. Uh, there are always going to be solutions as long as you're patient. And, uh, I, you know, we probably should point out too that in this case, when people talk, uh, we dealt with so many rumors throughout this entire process. And in this case, the rumor mill was 100% wrong, right? Remember that? I think it's David who said that instrument cross-check is uh, the most important part when you hear things and when people are preying on your anxiety and, and we need to continue to do that. Uh, if we learn from this and look to each other uh, for support, we can get through just about anything. Well, thank you very much, Will, and thank you all for coming in and talking today. Yep, thank you, David. Always appreciate it. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Yeah, you're welcome. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Your involvement and remaining educated in what your union is doing is very important and helpful, and it allows these men and women to do the work on our behalf. So that's very important. Thank you. You've been listening to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell.